This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome into Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio today by Ryan Abraham and Chris Trevino as we are going to break down USC's 42-25 win yesterday night over the Arizona State Sun Devils. We're live on multiple platforms right now. No Facebook, sorry about that, but we're on YouTube. We are on Twitter. Make sure you guys are leaving your comments so we can put them up and make sure you're calling in 512-4-Tunnel. We'll be taking live callers on the back half of the show, but Ryan, Chris, USC got another Another win at the Coliseum. They're 5-0. and Let's start off. What did you guys just think of the win? Crazy. Hey, Jack. Good to see you. Nice work there out there on the field yesterday. It was good to see you out there working hard. All of us working hard. It was late. Late Very game. Nice. I'm going to be honest. I did not see you once. You didn't see me at all. I didn't see you at all. I was up in the press box. Well, maybe I was I have no. There. I have no proof that you were there. Uh, I was tweeting. I did broadcast live that stuff. Uh, my mom and my sister were there, so I, on the way down to the field, I stopped in. I, did, I filmed the press conference. You didn't go in the press conference. I afterwards? was. I didn't see you. <laughs> I'm, I'm just first. saying I didn't come across you. <laughs> we really all night. did. I just didn't see it was you like all night. ships passing the night. Why are we getting right. off the rails already on the show? But yes, Jack, five and zero. Oh. Uh, do you remember how many games USC won all of last season? Quattro. That'd be four. Uh, now they're up to cinco. Pretty good. Uh, a little Spanish. What's <laughs> going, going on here? I, I could count the 10 in Spanish when I was like one and a half years old because like, I watched Sesame Street, so I learned all that stuff. But yeah, so 5-0. and oh, um, Yes, there's some things to nitpick. We've said this before. It's a flawed team. It's not a perfect team, but they're doing pretty good. 5-0, uh, and oh, yes, there's concerns with the, the rest of the schedule and stuff coming up, but you're doing what you need to do to win. They've won a bunch of different ways. Um, this was a weird one on Saturday night. You know, it was emotional. You guys had mentioned a uh, nice job on instant analysis, by the way, both of you guys. Make sure you check that over at uscfootball.com. Jack and uh, Chris, with an awesome view of the Coliseum. You guys climbed those stairs just to that shoot idea. that. Yeah, I was like, I was, that's a lot of work. I don't know if I want to work, walk all those stairs just to shoot that shot, but very good. But you're talking about it. It was an emotional night. Dave Nickel, unfortunately, passed away. He had a battle with cancer. Um, known Lincoln Riley for a while. Uh, started off with Mike Leach, I guess, in the coaching ranks, and uh, they're going to wear a helmet sticker to honor him for the rest of the season. That is um, USC's, was set to be their inside receivers coach, but passed away during the offseason for those not not uh, aware of that situation. Yeah. Um, so it was a little emotion. You know, like I wasn't expecting that coming out, of, you know, and uh, that was, I think that adds, added some emotion to the game 
overall, his family and friends were there, gave him the game ball in the locker room. So, yeah, a lot of emotion on Saturday night. For sure. Um, and it was different. We talked about this being a potential get-right game after kind of slugging through, you know, it was a tough one uh, up in uh, Corvallis against Oregon State. And, you know, they got through it. You know, they put up 40 points again, the defense getting gashed for a while and then, you know, did a lot better in the second half. We can talk about all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, overall, I think if you're a USC fan, things are way better. You know, just think about where you were a year ago. Things are significantly better than that when you were then. So, uh, yeah, I think it's not bad 5-0. and And they got a real shot. You know, I think Washington State's certainly a beatable team. And at Utah is tough. And a lot of people aren't going to expect USC to win. You go in there, you get a win in Salt Lake City. They're 7-0. and Then people are like, oh, okay, this is for real. Even if you win that one ugly, doesn't matter. That's going to be a big one. So, yeah, some some tough competition coming up, but you're where you want to be. You want to be 5-0, and and that's where the Trojans are. Just very quickly, after, you know, taking in the game, letting it digest a little bit, I came away with just three main points that I think are important coming off this game. This win, as you mentioned, there are things to nitpick. It wasn't perfect, but I think, number one, you got out of this. You got out of this healthy, you know, new True. new injuries. You're able to rest Justin Dietrich a little bit for some big games coming up. I know we'll talk about Gino Quinones and Justin Dietrich, but you came out of that relatively healthy, you know, no major injuries, nothing like that. Number two, while yes, the defense wasn't as lights out as they were in Corvallis, you did not see that kind of same intensity. I think what's important is that they came out correct in the second half. Those plays they weren't making in the first half, Hey, they made him in the second half. That, that level of energy they didn't have in the first half. Hey, they came back and did it in the second half. And I know, Ryan, we've covered some football teams over the last couple of years where that did not come correct out of halftime. And that was a big question we always used to ask. Well, what happened at halftime? What, what, what went on at halftime? At least this was team. Was naps? Like, what happened? At yeah. least this team, you know, got yelled at, at at some point, I'm assuming. And they came correct. They brought that energy level back. So that's an important thing for a defense and a team in general to come back out of that second half with some adjustments, with some plays being made, things they weren't doing in the first half. So I think that's important. Yes, it wasn't the same defensive effort that they had in Corvallis, but they still made plays when they needed to. And then number one is just the offense, Kayla Williams getting back on track, especially when you have two big kind of defensive games. Washington State, I think, underrated defense coming in next week. Utah, obviously, that's the big one everyone's talking about. Getting Caleb Williams, getting him back on rhythm, getting him comfortable again, getting that offense to put up points after 17 points against the Oregon State Beavers. Get right game in terms of getting the offense back on track, back in the flow, get that confidence back, see you can still make plays, see you can still get in the end zone, and just build that moving forward. Because you're going to need those points next week, and you're really going to need those points when you go to Salt Lake City. So I think those were kind of the three main points. Getting the offense back rolling, defense making the adjustments they needed to for the second half and getting out of that healthy. Yep. Yeah, it was not a perfect game for the Trojans. I think we expected it to be more of a blowout than it was. But at the same time, it's a little bit different than some of the other threat games that we've seen in the Coliseum the past couple years because it didn't feel like at any point USC was going to lose. Like Against Oregon State early in the game, you could say it really felt like the Trojans were going to lose the game really up until that Jordan Addison touchdown. But it felt like the Trojans were in control for most of the game against Arizona State. They just weren't playing their best football. And we'll talk about the defense who really turned it on in the second half. But what Chris mentioned is the offense really got right. They got back above the 40-point mark, which they had hit through the first three games. Caleb Williams looked like maybe the best we've ever seen him. The offense, I think, from the start really took 
Oregon State as a learning experience and, and improved. They were able to get all their weapons involved. I thought they had a fantastic game. They put up 42 points on the offensive side. So maybe that's where we should start with the offense and Caleb Williams. For sure. He was uh, Superman again. What did those uh, escape moves look like from the press box? It was pretty crazy. Uh, it looked like people were mashing their buttons on their Sony PlayStation controller, just like doing all kinds of crazy stuff. That's the one where you yell at the TV like, I had him. I had <laughs> him. How did, how did, why did he not make the tackle? Almost 400 yards of offense, had a rushing touchdown, had three passing touchdowns. More importantly, I mean, so it was really 52 yards rushing, but he had the one eight-yard sack. I mean, he should have had zero yards rushing because there could have been so many more sacks, and he just avoided them. There were some that were just like he ducked down and, and looked like he was dead, and he just comes out of the ashes like a phoenix rising. And you're like, where, where did he come from? How did that happen? Other ones where he avoided where blindside. He can't see what's going on. Like your mom when you're a kid, eyes in the back of her head, you know, just like could see the and like how did I? I'm watching this and I wouldn't have been able to avoid that. And I, he could not see that rusher and would still avoid it. Amazing performance by him. If you want to talk about the Oregon State game, USC doesn't win without that defensive performance. USC doesn't win against Arizona State, which is not a very good team, without Caleb Williams in that one. I think I mean he just was so good. All the things he did. I mean there could have been safeties, there could have been pick sixes like that jump pass. You're normally throwing a jump pass, you know, a couple yards over the, the goal line into the end zone, not out of the end zone to the sideline when it looked like, okay, well, obviously he's throwing that away. Like, obviously, oh, crap, that could get picked off. That's not going out of bounds. Oh, crap, it landed right into Jordan Addison's hands. And you converted, like, instead of being a safety or a pick six, it's a conversion, and you end up scoring a touchdown on that drive. Like, that's insane. So this kind of stuff he's doing, is why you're talking about him being a superstar. I think that was his 12th start. So this is, you know, about a full season under, under his belt as a young quarterback. Um, now we can't say that fact anymore. No, but it just, he bounced back. You know, he, he wasn't very accurate with the ball. He looked like he was hitting the shots. And they were taking, they were taking a lot of the, the short stuff that, you know, it seemed like there were slower developing things up at Oregon State. And it was, he was inaccurate. Like they were doing, hitting some quick stuff early and really got him rhythm. And the most important thing is, in four of the five games, USC's come out and scored touchdowns on their opening at least three drives. They didn't do it against Oregon State. They didn't score till the fourth quarter. They did it. I, I was like, you want to get back on that streak where you just come out of the gate. And to Jack's point, why you didn't feel they were going to lose? Because they scored touchdowns on the first three drives. You're like, you're not going to lose. Like, USC will not lose if they do that. So, yeah, long answer, but that's what I thought. We do have to note he did throw his first interception. I didn't see it, so it didn't happen. Oh, no, you didn't no, see no, it? No, I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> see, I, another reason he wasn't there. Another, <laughs> reason he wasn't another, there. another fact point for the, the theory that Ryan wasn't there, but he did throw his first interception. That's definitely a ball he probably would want back. Maybe maybe run that ball uh, with the running back or, or something else other than, you know, kind of look throwing into kind of a double cover situation. But he was a completely different quarterback from what we saw in Corvallis, especially those those throws on the run. If you recall against Oregon State, those some of those passes were just wide, hitting the feet, just behind, behind his receiver. There are multiple plays you can point to on Saturday where he rolled out, the mechanics were good, the footwork was there, and he's hitting, you know, Austin Jones, running out to make that Brendan Rice throw. To, to pick up that first down. Uh, kudos to Brendan Rice for that catch. But just so much cleaner and crisper on the move, which was a, obviously a glaring issue um, against the, the Beavers. So kudos to, to, to Caleb Williams. Uh, those, those moves, look to me and Jack, were, were pretty spectacular from the field level. 
we don't know how he he did it sometimes i, I know that we're seeing through the, the through the line and it's just a bunch of jumbled up space and then all of a sudden seeing someone jump around move around and all of a sudden he's free don't know how he does it i think it was referred to as black magic by uh by travis die so <laughs> a, a, a little bit of a, a maybe a maybe a sponsorship moving in the for or maybe like a uh what is it called like a logo or or trademark thing coming in the future i don't know yeah a little black magic nil deal maybe yeah, i don't know something. i love it no, I, chris and i were both just incredibly surprised at how many times we would be filming the offense and we would see caleb williams in kind of just engulfed in Arizona State defenders. Oh, we went down in a sack. And then we just see him leak out on the right side or the left side, and then we're like, wow, how did he get out of that? And then he's running for a first down, or he's finding Brendan Rice for what I thought was maybe the craziest throw of the night. I mean, Caleb, like, I think after last week, we're like, he has this tool, but it's not something that's going to show up just, I think, sparingly. I think he's going to really just pull this out every game. He's basically impossible to sack. Um, <laughs> like it's, I've, ne I've never seen a quarterback consistently pull off that many moves and also do it where there's not many negative plays. There was that one in the, the late first quarter or late first half against Fresno State. But other than that, every time he's tried to pull that off, it's been for USC's benefit and it hasn't resulted in too many negative plays. I think the more sure-handed teams might have a better job bringing him down, but I think this is something we've got to respect as a tool that Caleb Williams absolutely has. He finished the night with 348 yards and three touchdowns through the air, added 44 yards and a touchdown on the ground. I would argue this is probably the best that we've seen him all season. I'm going to interject really quickly yeah, of course. because I did tweet out that I like to, like to believe that uh, Caleb Williams swimming uh, upbringing did has a a factor into his escapability, and I'm just going to tell you a little story real quick. Mm -hmm. After practices, we would play this game called Sharks and Minnows, and I don't know if you're familiar with the game Sharks and Minnows, but it's basically water tag. And what happens is one person's in the middle, and the other shark, and everyone's on the pool deck is a minnow, and you have to swim to the other side without getting tapped above the water on your head. And those games got vicious because you're underwater, and once the sharks start multiplying. People are running for you underwater and grabbing you and trying to bring you to the top. And it's a it's a fight mentality to get out of a shark's grip, multiple sharks, and get to the other side safely. So I'm just telling you. Yes. I see some flashbacks of the shark in minnow days that we would play after practice. That is a real story, and I'm not bullshitting. That's great, which normally you would be. And if for normally pe for, pe for people that don't remember, you know. Chris from the DMV, Caleb Williams of the DMV. Chris was a swim coach for Caleb Williams. I'm just back saying. In the day. I'm just saying. And I thought, know, despite your swimming coaching, you know, he has succeeded in spite of my coaching. <laughs> despite, yes, yeah. in spite, in spite of, of, of it. Uh, but no, that's cool. That's a cool. Uh, you actually did that. That has no bearing whatsoever. But I thought this is just me being a talking head and be like, we Let's should ask look him about that this week at practice. Like, do you remember <laughs> the Sharks and Minnows game? Is that does that help you with your escapability in the pocket? And I. And you know, I'll have Keeley ask him next time. He's, he's obviously not impossible to sack because I mean, he got sacked in this game. It's just the the number of times that he was close to a sack or should have been sacked or a normal mortal would have been sacked was very high. Like sometimes you just like, you know, we're, we're watching Tom Brady tonight, and it's like you know, get out of the sack. That's pretty cool, you know. But it's not it's not getting pressured all that much in a lot of these games. Caleb Williams is getting pressured a lot in this game. We're going to probably talk about the offensive line. And was able to get out of all of them. And it, the same thing happened at Oregon State. You know, he was able to, you know, he wasn't completing the passes, but he was taking off and running and keeping drives alive when they weren't really that effective. 
you know, when you keep a drive alive and the, the offense is effective, that's pretty cool because then you're probably going to score. This was just more about field position against Oregon State, but there were so many opportunities in the last two weeks for him to get sacked, and it just you know it was it was a rare occurrence. I wonder if there's like an elusive elusiveness rating or metric out there, or how many sacks you've avoided. Is there a Madden uh, thing? Because like yeah, something like I wonder if there's something out there. Yeah. Like, I don't know, PFF has it or some F SPI stat, but. After the game, I just wanted just a little color from the field. One of U.S. Uh, sorry, Arizona State's defensive linemen uh, sought out Caleb Williams after the game to, to show him some love. And he said, uh, you are slippery as F. <laughs> and he said that multiple times. And they were laughing at it. And he said, I'll get you next time. So, you know, gave, they gave, they gave uh, props to uh, a slippery as F uh, Caleb Williams after the game. That's pretty cool. Slippery as a minnow, I guess. Uh, let's Slippery get to, as a minnow. Let's get to the offensive line because it is one of the bigger storylines of the game and something that, uh, I mean, we went to practice and we weren't really expecting this, but Justin Dietrich didn't play, uh, didn't even come out with the captains prior to the game, which meant Gino Quinones got the start at guard. There was also some rotation at left tackle. So definitely the, the weirdest the offensive line has looked personnel-wise, and they didn't play their sharpest game. So what did you guys think about the offensive line? Yeah, not only that, but Lake McCree's been your starting tight end, and you got Josh Follow in there getting the start. So that played well. Yeah, uh, there were some issues with uh, the you know, pass protection. You know, Austin Jones didn't get as many reps. He, you know, he's had some, you know, pass protection issues. I think gave up the sack, the, the one in this game. Uh, but yeah, like seeing Gino Quinones out there, like, okay, that's different. I mean, I was looking for a left tackle. and like, okay, Bobby Haskins is starting. Gino Quinones, yeah, that's normal. Wait, what? <laughs> like, why is 66 out there? But he was. Um, yeah, I didn't even tweet that right away. It was like, Bobby Haskins starting at left tackle because we thought we were going to see Cortland Ford, which we did uh, until he had that holding call. And we're not sure if it's more of a... So there was a, usually rotating, um, you know, Gino, I mean, sorry, uh, Bobby Haskins and Cortland Ford. And the first couple games, Cortland Ford was starting. Then he goes out with the injury. Then it's been Bobby Haskins all the way. And then they alternated this game. He did give up that holding call on the 82-yard touchdown bomb or whatever it was to uh, Mario Williams. I think that was the only stalled drive that USC had all night, the only punt that they had. Uh, the entire evening, and we didn't see Cortland Ford for the rest of the game after that. And, you know, it could have been because he's still come back off an injury. It could have been because of the hold, and they just decided Bobby Hassan. We're not sure yet. So that was a little, you know, a little weird stuff on the on the left tackle spot. But, man, that, that the guard spot with with uh, Gino Cagnone is like, weren't expecting that. And uh, I think it's a little different when Mason Murphy came in for the first time. Uh, you know, I asked Lincoln Riley about that, and he said, you know, he felt like, you know, you're putting, I forget what the analogy was using, but it was like, you know, um, putting in, you know, putting in a closer against Barry Bond. It was something like that. Like you, you put this guy in a really tough spot right away and uh, boom, you know, and he gives up a sack and just doesn't look that good. This was at least an opportunity for Gino Canales to kind of get his feet wet from the very beginning and get, you know, get a feel for what was going on in the game. But in general, um, I don't think the offensive line played that well. There was so much, too much pressure on Caleb Williams. We didn't see the kind of, explosive runs that we had seen in weeks prior. And, you know, you could talk to people if you were committed to the run more, you can maybe run off some of those defensive ends and not let them, you know, just kind of tee off on Caleb Williams. And yeah, they, they probably could have run the ball, but they wouldn't, they weren't as effective running the ball, but I think you can keep the defense honest a little bit in that one. So it's, you know, it's tough. Uh, it's after the first couple games, the offensive line has sort of been mixing up a little bit. We, it's not too deep. We've seen now seven guys play you know real minutes on the offensive line when it was you know when the, the game was going on when it was before the game was you know out of hand and uh i thought Kenyon's you know played pretty well i gotta go back and like watch the tape and stuff but it seemed like he did pretty good but as a whole 
I think the offensive line needs to play a lot better. You have to kind of remember that that starting offensive line, essentially of uh, Monheim, Dietrich, Nealon, Voorhees, and Ford, Haskins, however you want to shape it up, has been together since spring yeah. for the most part. And going back to last season when Justin came in. So those guys know each other. They don't really know Gino Quinones that well. So uh, it's very critical on the offensive line to have that kind of communication. And what was Justin Dietrich recruited for to come play? He was the center. He was a center. Who's the most communicative player on the on offensive line? The center. The center. You're doing good at this game. Yeah, yeah. But you have two centers on the line. That's a lot of communication. Ask me another question where nah, the answer is center. I, 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 uh, what's the tallest <laughs> position on the basketball? Center. I was center. just going to say that. And that, so you take away, you know, your team captain, one of your best communicators, fill in with a guy who's never made a, a start in his USC career, which, you know, I thought he played okay as well. But that's a lot to ask. You know, they're lucky. It is. It was a home game. Arizona State's not that good, but... Their defensive line, I mean, the As, interior defensive yeah, line. They have is a good, good front. They have a good front. They've recruited well there. Uh, Lincoln Riley did say this was a tough one for them just because they have one of the best, biggest interior offensive linemen that they're going to face this season by far. That, that was their biggest interior guys they played this season. So big tests for Geno. Did have a, uh, a, uh, a false start to early open on things up. You could tell down on the field that his uh, endurance wasn't quite. There all the way, he was, he was sucking down air, huffing and puffing, which, understandable, you know, hasn't played that many, many reps. He's not running up and down like what, like the first-team guys are, are used to. So there were some things to overcome, but I think he did a good job. It's important to get him some some of this experience. Justin Dietrich, as we know, super, super critical for this team, not just as a team captain, but as the starting right guard. And he has been banged up. You know, he has had this leg thing going on with the, with the band that's that's written wrapped up with his leg. He's had that for the last 2 weeks. Had that out in pregame and he was still suited up. He was probably like an emergency emergency kind of deal, but he was out there and as Lincoln said they they're trying to get him rested just like Cortland. This was an opportunity to get him some rest, get him right for maybe you can get by again with Washington State, but you definitely need him for Utah, Ryan. You yeah. definitely need him for that game. So, they're going to try to get him as healthy as they can before they put him back in. But I think it was uh, important and twofold in getting him rest and also getting Geno some experience for for what it may, whatever may happen down the line. So yep. I think overall they got through it. Wasn't the cleanest thing as expected because they had a new guy. There's a new guy in the band. He doesn't know all the notes. He doesn't know all the timing. So just had to go with it. Yeah, I think, I like. I think another guy they wanted to get some rest for was running back Travis Dye after he'd been really just a little bit banged up for almost seemingly the entire season, but he's still uh, obviously a trooper. You know, there was a long gap between his first carry, like his first series that he played, and then the next time he came in, we talked about him, or we talked to him after the game. He said that they just wanted to run plays for some of the other backs who he thought did a good job, but when the game was a little bit closer than I think they thought it was going to be, they brought him back in. Uh, he was he pretty much sealed the deal for the Trojans, had two touchdowns on the ground. He mentioned after the game he thought Gino Quinones played really well, and so you start with the offensive line. Yes, they didn't play all that well, but I think the weapons really showed up for the Trojans. You pretty much had everyone that they put out there make at least one or two plays that were big plays. I mean, Josh Follow blocked really well, so did Mario Williams. Malcolm Epps had a touchdown. Jordan Addison went over 100 yards. Uh, Mario Williams had the touchdown. All the running backs, I think, played pretty well with Relique Brown looking at the best we've seen him since the Rice game. So if there's a couple guys you want to hone in on on the, spe or on the outside uh, wide receivers, the tight ends, and the running backs, I thought they played their most consistent game as a group. Yeah, Tyler Hudson. 
Yeah, yeah, Kyron Hudson. Hudson uh, he, Rice. he got his very first uh, touchdown. We, Rice had some good catches. We saw a Kyle Ford sighting a couple times. My boy, boy. he could have got a touchdown. He didn't quite get it, but um, yeah. And then you know, Travis Dye, two more touchdowns. It's funny that he was like the only back that didn't get a foot touchdown in the Rice game, and he's a touchdown guy now. You know, it seems like that's where the most of the focus is going to be, which makes a lot of sense. He's just an effective back, and uh, Jordan Addison goes over like 105 yards, and about half of it were yards after the catch so he's elusive when he gets the ball in his hands and they're they're able to put you know Caleb Williams put it on him and he can take off and run so uh yeah that, I mean the big the big weapons out there you know you have the Travis Dyes the Jordan Addison's we didn't see that much of Addison besides that touchdown catch at the end of the game against Oregon State he was the the main guy out there uh Saturday night so yeah I mean kind of get back to normal makes sense the guys who are making plays definitely looked like they were making effort to get the ball in his hands which yeah was wasn't happening against Oregon State until late as you said but got to feature Blitnikoff guy got to got to make plays to get him open and and get those uh, uh mismatches yeah I think he'll get like I don't know what you guys think he'll probably get to the thousand yards and mm-hmm. touchdowns will be interesting like what do you think like 12, He's over going to be over 10, double digits. Yeah, I think it's double digits, but like if he can get to like 15 or something, that's pretty good. last year or something like that. That would be pretty 16. darn good, you know. I think at least 12. He already has six right now, right? No, seven. 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 seven? Yeah. Okay. So he can okay. get to like 15. It's not even right? halfway through the season. I know. That's pretty so good. At least 12. 12 is the But four. he was getting like two a game early on, so we'll, I don't know if you can keep that up. We'll see. I mean, with the big games coming up on USC's schedule, I think they would hope that he's getting up to around the 15 mark, not around 10 or 12, because that would mean that they're doing something right against some of the big teams they'll play in the next coming weeks. One stat that really stuck out to me as I was looking through the official game stats from yesterday was the every every wide receiver had one long reception. You had Jordan Addison, a long of 24, Mario Williams, a long of 27, Brendan Rice, 31, Kyron Hudson, 25, and USC hadn't been able to hit the deep shots the last couple games against Fresno State and against Oregon State, but this time you had four receivers with an over a 20-yard gain uh, through the air. Again, a lot of stuff did come after the catch, but I felt like the the uh, the deep shots were there a little bit more in this game than they were in the previous two games, which is opening up the Lincoln-Riley offense. I think they figured out how to use the short passes to set those up, which they hadn't been successful with against Oregon State. But those are the changes we thought they needed to make. I thought they did a pretty good job. Yeah, and it seems like they're like kind of designed deep shots, but they're not long, they're not deep passes. They're sort of like, you know, you open up lanes for these guys to run after the catch. I would like to see them get back to hitting the, you know, the, the Jordan Addison 75-yard bomber. But they hit one. It got called back for... But I don't know. That was a blown coverage. I, mean, I lost him completely. I no one was even it. near him. Like, I don't know. That was like the weirdest play. For that to get called back was just like, are you kidding? Like, that's that was very Pac 12. You know, the, the refs were pretty bad overall. I don't know about the hold. There's probably fine. But there was, you know, pass interference on both teams that were just like good defensive plays. And you're just throwing flags, altering the game because you want to be involved in the game somehow. And that's just, it's, it's terrible when you see a DB whose job is hard enough. And you're, they're making a good defensive play, and you throw a flag for, well, they didn't catch it. It must be pass interference. Like, nope, they guys made a great play. I think the we saw the hold up on the video board. It looked like a legit call on the hold, but it was one of those penalties where it's like the penalty didn't have anything to do with how open Mario Williams was, yeah. just the t- getting Caleb Williams enough time to throw it, which not even sure it was going to be 100% necessary. But I think that's why I think or we didn't even mention it. I don't think Cortland Ford returned for a single snap after that penalty. Yeah. No, he did not. He didn't. Uh, he didn't come back. We don't know if it was because of that penalty or if it was just like he was sort of like grinding it out and it was hurt a little bit. And they're like, you know what? If you're hurt and you're going to hold, we're just going to keep you out. Uh, we don't know. We'll try to find out 
uh, when we get to talk to Lincoln Riley on uh, Tuesday. Well, let's move on to the defensive side of the ball, which is the one that there have been a lot of questions about throughout the season. Last week was their best performance against Oregon State, so they were riding a little bit of a high into this game, and they were met by an ASU offense that looked pretty good through the first half. They were really having their way with the Trojan defense, especially on the outside runs. But in the second half, the Trojans kind of quieted it down and ended up having five sacks on the day, went from 8.2 yards of play in the first half to only 3.3. I don't think they allowed any points until the touchdown that was a, a weird drive that we'll get into but uh, the defense played really well in the second half. Not great in the first, which means Alex Grinch isn't going to be very happy because they didn't play a perfect game, but I still think that they battled back and had a, a lot more energy and looked more ferocious in the second half. There's way too many gash plays. Uh, you know, the, the wide runs were working really well. It seemed like USC was sort of backed off and letting Arizona State kind of run at them, and then they were just getting out, you know, getting around the edge, and then there were just long runs and and. It, it didn't look good. And I, you know, I asked, uh, you know, I, I tried to get a feel for in the press conference. I got to talk to Eric Gentry and he ended up talking about, he didn't really answer my question, but he was kind of talking. About, it was interesting what he said, you know, playing his old team and it was just there. Felt weird. I was, I was, there. I asked Eric Gentry a question. Uh, the only, the only person to ask him one. And then I asked Caleb, uh, Caleb Bullock, the same kind of thing. And no one told me that they made these adjustments at halftime. I don't know if you guys heard from Grinch, if they, but no, but to me, it looked like, they were forcing the issue more. They were getting more guys up near the line of scrimmage. They were pushing the action to Arizona State as opposed to letting things kind of get get run over. Like they weren't filling the right gaps. They weren't fitting the the runs and especially the wide stuff. Well, now they were bringing more guys up near the line of scrimmage, and you you would see like a Max Williams or Jalen. You saw guys kind of crowding up there and taking away that edge. And if it wasn't going to be by the defensive end or rush end. They were going to bring someone up and do it, and they just forced the action. And they got, what, five sacks in the second half after getting none in the first? So to me, it looked completely different. They were they were being the aggressor in the second half. I haven't heard anyone say that yet. Uh, maybe some of the people well, you talked to. I well, Lincoln know. Riley did say in his opening kind of presser that he felt like they were – I believe it was Lincoln Riley. They were talking about how they were, they were definitely attacking more in the second half, both on defense and on offense. Yeah. So they definitely – Everything you just said sounds like uh, a defense in the second <laughs> half that was attacking. They were out there hunting, and Eric Gentry kind of mentioned that personally for him. You know, he felt a little timid. He didn't feel like himself. That fiery, uh, angry giraffe. He wasn't angry giraffe. He was a docile giraffe. But coming out of the second half, he felt a little weird. You know, playing his old his old team. But out of the second half, he as a Mike linebacker has to set the tone. Has to set the give that defense its edge, and you definitely saw a, an edge uh, in the second half. And I think it, a lot of it started with just being more aggressive, more attacking, and uh, having Gentry, your angry draft, getting a little angry. Yeah. The pass rush definitely stepped up. Uh, they also limited Emory Jones' ability to run a little bit better. That's something that Alex Grinch mentioned and something that we mentioned on the Thursday show is this is the first running quarterback that USC is going to see. They didn't handle it well in the first half, I think, because the other runs were were there all the time and they just were trying not to get gashed in the passing game. They were letting ASU kind of take it to them. They allowed some lanes for Emory Jones instead of just trying to hound him and bring him down like ASU wasn't able to do with Caleb Williams, but they figured it out in the second half. I want to give a shout-out, I think, a lot to the corner back room because I thought that they've been maybe the most consistent group of any of the USC uh, defensive groups with Makai Blackman being the number one corner. Sierra Wright's been good on the second side. We've seen Damani Jackson come in, Jacoby Covington. They've rotated a lot of guys, but you're not hearing a lot about them, which for cornerbacks tends to mean you're doing something good. I think especially Makai Blackman. Yeah, he had a great PBU and uh, 
no flag on that one at least. But you know, I thought there's been there was a bunch of good pass breakups that they called through flags. I was on, waiting for the flag. Yeah, I was like, oh, that looked too good. They're going to throw a flag on it. But yeah, Blackman's been you know when people were getting on him, um, yeah, he's he's been a stud. I think he's you know if you look at the 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 pieces on this team where you're like, where would this team be without? And you know. Where would they be without Travis Dye? Where would they be without Caleb Williams? Where would they be without Jordan Addison? You know, Mario Williams. And guys like Makai Blackman, too, you know, and, you know, Eric Gentry. There's so many guys that are transfers that are key, like, you know, very important cogs in this machine. The machine doesn't work without a lot of these guys. And the majority of them weren't on the team last year. And there's, there's definitely studs that were they're coming back. The Tuli, Tuli, Tuli Pelotas of the world and stuff like that. But, Man, so many key guys, and you know, you, you mentioned the secondary. Uh, you know, for for every, you know, Kalen Bullock, there seems to be like two Makai Blackwoods. There's two guys that that are new that are, are a huge part of this team that they really needed. And just uh, you were mentioning about not getting to Emory Jones. Just wanted to say shout out to Emory Jones. He deserves some props. He's a big quarterback. He's hard to bring yeah, down. He is. Uh, it was a battle of two elusive guys. And, you know, that guy started in the SEC last year for Florida. So he's used to having big defensive linemen, big-bodied players coming at him and shaking those guys off. So the Pac-12 maybe a little bit easier for him after playing in the SEC. But credit to him. He was a big guy. You know, there were a couple times where maybe a tackler did not want to get run over by Sir Emery Jones. So wow. credit to him in the first half, but they definitely stepped it up in the second half and brought the big man down. I mean, you got to give, I think, props to the entire Arizona State program. I think they played a lot better than we expected them to. They had a lot more heart under Sean Aguano in their second game than we saw in the first game that they played. They, they stuck around. Like I think that's at the point that the program's at right now, that's just about as bad, the best thing you could ask for if you're Sean Aguano. So I was impressed by their resilience. I think what Shotgun said on the Thursday show is they might try and drag USC down into the mud a little bit, get some chippiness going in the Coliseum. We saw some weird things. There were some picks that bounced off USC's hands. There was you know the, the sideline spraying water in Caleb Williams' face. There was a lot of weird stuff, but I thought USC h held their composure pretty well against the Arizona State team that I think was just trying to do anything they can to get in USC's head. What yeah, I think it? if you watch the Utah game, like ASU didn't really show up. Like they, it just was sort of like, meh, you know, and they showed up for this one. And, you know, last year we talked about like Dante Williams when he took over. USC played their best game the very that first week against Washington State on the road. They got a win. That was the best win of the, you know, of the season. And then it kind of felt that the wheels fell off. We talked about this, like they played so bad that first week, they might, they're, you know, the Arizona States, you know, the Sun Devils might kind of get things right and rally around uh, your interim head coach and, and, and show some spunk. And they did. I didn't think it was going to last. Uh, and it didn't after the second half, you know, when the second half started. But yeah, they, they came out and played a lot better than they did against Utah. They didn't just lay over and die like they did against the Utes. So it, that was good. You know, props to ASU for that. We'll see how, I mean, it's, it's tough. USC fans seen firsthand what it's like to try to keep the whole train together going when it's like rickety and like wheels are falling off and the not uh, we just lost the caboose and you got to keep that thing going down and, and make it to the end of the season. It was really hard for USC to make it to the end of the season last year. I'm curious what ASU does, but keeping it together now Colorado's going to do the same thing. So a couple of Pac-12 South teams are doing like the whole interim most of the year deal. Everyone liked USC's blueprint. Just get it over with early and then just <laughs> let it let it ride for the rest of the season. But I just want to say it was mainly Arizona State's number four, De Silva, who was making all those like 
uh, chippiness place. He's the one who squirted water in, oh, he did, yeah. in uh, Caleb Williams' face, which, first of all, he's a swimmer. We trained for this. <laughs> it makes him stronger. <laughs> he was That's the one. Like... <laughs> he had a little bit of a chippiness with uh, Brett Nealon on one of the touchdowns. Brett Nealon went down, and he was kind of just a little bit extra, you know, pushing on the ground, and Brett Nealon and him kind of went face-to-face. And then he's the one who got the unsportsmanlike at the end of the game, I believe, on Travis Dye's second touchdown. He got the unsportsmanlike against uh, Gino Quinones, they were kind of uh, Gino was kind of laughing at him after that. So number four was kind of the main instigator. Uh, yeah, that that big body to detackle. I can't believe that didn't get a penalty. Like the the you literally squirted water into Caleb Williams' face, like the most high profile player in the conference. It's on national television. You squirt water in his face. Malcolm Epps said he probably deserved it. That's what he said. Yeah, I asked him about. It. He said, "Did Caleb come over and like mention that he got water squirted?" He's like. Caleb's a jokester. He probably deserved it. He probably deserved it. I was like, so you think he deserved it? And he was like, yeah, he probably deserved more. But he was just The fact that it was on TV, I'm, I'm curious if the Pac-12 addresses that. But watch the thing. The Pac-12 ref's not even turned the other way. He's, wa- he's looking he's at walking it. The, you know, he's walking. You know, he's not. His, his back's to the play. Oh, okay. So we couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. So, like, shouldn't you be watching just to make sure no funny business is going on? Yeah. He was already walking back. Yeah, how does no referee have an eye on the sideline? Not even just the sideline, but Caleb Williams, who's the, the biggest and best player in the conference. Like this is these are just things that you've got to look out for, especially in a game where you know there might be a little bit of chippiness. Like that's yeah. you gotta have an eye on that. Pac twelve ref, baby, you know. Only maybe only another year and a half of that for USC. We yeah, I'll any, say. We got any callers? Yes, we do have a caller. I was gonna say, is there anything else that you guys want to touch on before we get to caller? Special teams was garbage. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while. I feel like I'm always saying special teams is garbage. Before they would have a special teams coordinator, they would have a whole lot of players on scholarship for special teams. They dedicate a lot of practice time to special teams, and they were still terrible. I think this is better. Like if we don't even know much about the special teams and they kind of stink, at least you're not putting a whole lot of resources into it and stink. Like if you're like, I'm gonna study. To be, you know, I'm going to study this, study this, and you just still stink at it. Like, well, you shouldn't have studied. You just go to the beach because why were you studying if you still don't know it? USC has been bad on special teams. Two drives starting, one at the five, one at the six because of penalties on kickoff returns. Just fair catch the ball. Never return a ball again. Like, I think you've lost all kick return privileges. Jordan Addison muffs a punt. Um, they give That's up. Gary Bryant's spot, man. I know. They give up a, a, an onside kick on some weird penalty thing. Um, I don't know what they were doing on that hands team play. Uh, give up, you know, big kick returns to punt returns. Um, they're just bad on special teams, and there was no special teams coordinator. So I don't mind that you don't have a special teams coordinator. But man, if you're not going to do that, don't try to return the just fair catch it. Get the ball to twenty five. Just be bland as possible. Just yeah, don't screw it up. Like don't you just just give the give Caleb Williams the ball to twenty five. You feel pretty good. He could score at the five, but why would you do that? Why are you going to give him, you know, get, make him pick up two more first downs? Just get the ball to the 25, move on. If you have the potential to make a, break a big play, fine. They haven't done it. They haven't come close to that. They've been awful. So stop it. Like, it, gotta stop doing that stuff. It's like they know they're not trained for this, but they still want to do the thing that they're not trained for. Yes. It's like, hey, I know you're not trained in brain surgery, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> I don't really practice this, but let's uh, let's give it a shot. But I see what your point is. It's it's like they don't really have – there's no – because last time or last coaching staff, it's like so much time to special teams, still bad. No time to special teams, still bad. Right. So you feel better about it. It's like, right. okay, well, now it makes sense. Yeah, we, now it makes we haven't practiced sense. it. Now it makes sense. But it's weird not having someone to tweet about. 
Right. Like, I, I tweeted. You don't it, have a Baxter, man. I, tw- I tweeted if USC had a special team coordinator, he'd be on the hot seat right now. But they don't have one, so it's fine. Just too many. I mean, I, I think if you have average special teams in this game, like it's probably an extra touchdown. You know, like the one drive they didn't score on started at the six, I believe, because of a penalty on a kickoff return. So, um, and there was other mistakes too. They had the holding, you know, and all that. But you're putting your offense in a position you don't need to be in. So I'm. I don't know. I'm not a special teams expert, but I've just been playing one on Tunnel Vision and on USAFootball.com for years now. I feel like it's gotten progressively worse week to week. It's been bad. It's been getting worse and worse and worse, and I feel like we're going to hit a critical point where something bad is going to happen, whether that's a huge kickoff return or a muff punt in a a critical situation. I think we're we're heading towards that at, at this rate of trajectory. So I should do it for the camera. Yeah, we were here. It's like average, average, and now we're slowly going down. So we're gonna reach some. We're gonna reach some point where something terrible is gonna happen on special teams, and they're gonna have to like like a blocked kick or something. Something something's gonna go wrong. I feel it. And that's where, that's the trajectory right now. Yeah, and even like the you know the one field goal that you know well, there was a missed field goal last week against Oregon State, and that's when the game was 0-0. That's like a it wasn't like a twenty-eight nothing and you hit the, oh it's now thirty-one nothing. It's oh it's nothing nothing. We you know take the lead with this field goal and that's missed. You know, so things like that. Like when the when the game's in you know in doubt, yeah, you gotta make those plays. Field goals are a little different just because it's like you know it's it's not like getting the kick block. It's just like all in the kicker or, or whatnot. Yeah. So and I can't say anything bad about the goat. Dennis you can't. So but like can't. coverage, kickoff <laughs> coverage, coverage is bad. All that stuff. Yes, you can talk about all that. All these athletes running down there, coverage is bad. Big returns. They cannot return. They don't block anybody. I don't know what's going on, but well, they block them, just right in the square of the back. <laughs> there was that the too. Back. Maybe the block. The block. He wasn't good. You still weren't gonna. Like, wasn't gonna be a big return, and there was a penalty. You know, like. It's one of those things, like, if you oh, you you've hold, held the guy and you broke off a big return, okay, well, this was – there were going to be a crap return and there was a holding or whatever. So After the second one, someone in the stands yelled, stop blocking in the back, and they did. <laughs> Maybe that guy. We should that talk guy to him. Guy? Yeah. That was their last kickoff return of the night, I believe. Oh, so they didn't even get a chance to – No. That makes sense. Yeah. That, but, that but just, checks out. Here's what you could do. Wherever you are in the field, fair catch, yeah. catch the ball, you get the – like, the, you know – you simple. can't keep screwing up. I get it. Like when you talk to special teams coordinators, and I talked to Sean Snyder about this last year, where like say you return five kicks and four of them you don't get to the twenty-five. You can't say, well, eighty percent of the time you're not getting to the twenty-five, so you should just fair catch and get to the twenty-five. If your fifth one was returned for a touchdown, like it's worth the. I lost three, four yards on this one. I lost two yards on this one. I lost five yards on this one because. One out of five, we're going to break for a touchdown. Like, that's worth it. Like, I'd rather start at the 20, 21, 22, boom, touchdown, as opposed to 25, 25, 25, 25, 25. But you're not getting close to that that boom. Like, you're only getting the bust. So you'd rather just take the 25 because you're not getting anywhere near scoring that touchdown. Sounds so there's like, no – it's not like worth gambling. it. It's gambling. Yeah. Like, <laughs> analytics, baby. Just use some, use some stats. Throw some stats at it. Fair catch. This poor caller who's been waiting. Fair catch. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yeah, let's go to to our live caller. All right, here we go. Hi, you're on Tunnel Vision. Hi, guys. Dave from Iowa once again. And, of course, i got two questions. One, Ryan, um, in terms of the entire Pac-12 as a whole, aside from, you know, Colorado and ASU's fiascos, I mean, hey, we got five teams in the top 25. That's got to say something for the conference and just, like, the strength of the conference as a whole. And then for uh, Chris, I have a hot take here. Even though we did win, you know, kind of disappointing to, to see that USC was beating ASU by only one score into the third quarter. Lincoln Riley needs to be accountable for that. And in a sense, you could argue from that point that uh, AS, or that USC was outcoached by – was outcoached and outplayed by ASU in the first half. Um, so just curious then, when it comes to making adjustments, why do you think Lincoln Riley waited a, a, until halftime rather than, you know – uh, doing it, you know, t- within two series or something like that. Is it, you know, kind of the idea of not so much cockiness, but, you know, arrogance or stubbornness? Or w- w- what do you think is the reasoning behind that? Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Dave. And Jack, you might want to turn up that slider for the Skype ones. Um, yeah, the Pac 12, I mean, uh, you know, we got some teams that are looking pretty good. You know, it's, it's, it's hard for the, the conference. When Oregon loses as badly as they did in week one, and Utah, who looks good now, loses the Florida team that's like meh, right? So it's a mid- we, you knew they were going to be a middle-of-the-road SEC team. You can't go on the road and lose there and swap. And it was, uh, you know, it was just one of those things. But I think the conference has bounced back. You know, Washington took one on the chin, but there was two undefeated teams playing. You know, UCLA, no one really took seriously. U- UCLA Washington both had crap schedules. And uh, UCLA looked really good. It looked like Chip Kelly was treating those first few games as preseason. And they play Colorado, so that doesn't really count because they're just god-awful. But, yeah, so, I mean, UCLA could be legit. Um, Oregon State's kind of fallen off a little bit, but, they, you know, they were looking good for a while. Washington State, um, you know, they've been good. Oregon's been a lot better. So, yeah, I think there's some quality teams in the Pac-12. And, uh, you know, USC doesn't have to play a couple of them. They don't play Washington. They don't have to play Oregon. Um, so we'll see kind of what they do with, uh, with the slate that they have ahead of them. And then who, if they can make it to the championship game, who they play there. Okay, I'm going to try to answer this without sounding stupid. But he said Arizona State, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't say Oregon State, right? He said Arizona State. Arizona yeah, okay. State. So I guess my first point would be that USC's offense was scoring, was <laughs> moving. They had a red zone interception which just a bad play you know that's a decision by caleb williams they don't make that play that's another touchdown they had a holding call that wiped out a what 70 yard 60 yard touchdown that's another touchdown that was an 82 yard touchdown. that was an 82 yard (laughs) touchdown that's wiped off the board because of a penalty there's a mistake thrown into the uh end zone for a pick the first turnover of the season i don't 
that's not necessarily that's not play calling. That's just mistakes by you know some of the players, which happens. It's college football. They're they're yeah. they're teens. I don't think Lincoln Riley had to apologize for the offense in the first half. And I don't know if it's <laughs> it, yeah. I don't yeah. think I don't think it's arrogance or cockiness. But also like I've I'm never. You guys may know this, but I've never been a college football coach, head coach. You've not? No, I have not. Just a quarterback coach. Just you, think, just, you lied on your resume then. So I've never you know, been a play caller. I've never called a play in a game. But I can imagine you know, in the moment it's really not difficult, but it's you know, you're in a flow. You're in sort of a, a mindset where a lot of things are going on. There's people yelling. There's people in your ear. People are going, get back. The ref is being a freaking butt. And you got all these things going on. And you're calling the – and he's they're being Stanford. You know, he's being butt. Yeah. And there's all these things going on. You know, I think it's kind of, again, not hard, but it's like you're in this, this uh, jet stream of calling a game and handling all these things as the head coach that maybe it's a little bit difficult to – you know, make that adjustment without, you know, having the moment to breathe in the halftime and be like, okay, look at the film. Okay, this isn't working. Let's try this. Or, you know, I'm, so I'm not saying it's outright, you know, cockiness or anything like that, but this is his offense. He knows it better than anyone on this planet. So, you know, if he thinks he feels confident in it, you know, then that's what he's going to do. And again, they were scoring. Drive chart, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. I was like, okay, like that's fine. And, and Arizona State slowed it down, so there was only four possessions right in the first half for USC. Right, and if they get those two scores and, uh, you know, that weird fluky drive where the defense had two PIs and Damani can't get bring that that uh, pass broken up in and the guy catches it for a first down, USC's getting the ball back, and I would put a lot of money if they were going <laughs> to score on that, and they probably cover this game. Um, so I think that's... I don't have any complaints about what the offense did outside of, you know, a couple mistakes. Yeah. Uh, they do probably need to run the ball a little more consistently, you know, sure. in, in, in the red zone. I, I will accept that as a, a criticism for this offense, but I, I'm not going against anything that Lincoln did in that game. No. Well, I think he realized that by the end, too, because he had that stretch where Travis Dye ran it three straight times and they scored. But I also think, you know, it's easy for us to sit here on the couches or sitting on the field and say they should really run the ball more. But, I mean, Caleb Williams was on fire. You have a backup guard in. You really don't know what you have at left tackle quite yet. So, you know, maybe there's just different circumstances and you you just want to trust Caleb Williams, who might be the best quarterback in the country. So I, I understand a little bit, um, but I, I definitely don't think that that he did anything wrong waiting till halftime to make changes. If there was any side of the ball that really did make a shift after halftime, that was the defense, and that's not Lincoln Riley's concern. And it's, I think, a lot harder to just grab the entire defense and tell them what they all need to fix when you don't really have a, you know, a prolonged period of time to sit down, think about it, talk with all the position coaches. So I think halftime, it just makes a little bit more sense. Like, I'm sure they were trying to make changes. Yeah. not like they were just going out there and – Sometimes it takes, you know, a halftime speech where you have more than two minutes before, you know, you're the defense, you get off the field, Caleb Williams goes and scores in like two minutes, and then you're back on the field. Halftime gives you a little bit more time. It's a chess match. Mm. Sometimes you have your stratagem, and sometimes you have to flip the strategy. Night to rook four. And uh, Tui, thing? Chris, Tui, Tui, Plo, Tui is still a queen, right? Uh, that's out of context. Right now. <laughs> Anyone who hasn't seen that instant is going to be like, what? 
What was that? Yeah, we got some comments the last time that I that I brought that up. I think that was last Sunday. And we got some comments about it. But we've got a lot of questions here uh, on YouTube. You guys can make sure to leave them so we can uh, get to them before we wrap up the show. We got yeah. one from Leonard on YouTube. It says, what has been the biggest surprise of the season so far? I guess we can each go for this one. I think... Good. You know, you... No, no, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was yeah, thinking yeah, as I'm I was drinking talking. my water, so I, I was can't. Thinking I, was my water, so I, can't. Uh, I mean, I think just being 5-0, and oh, like, it's a very different feeling. Like, when people are complaining about how you're winning games as opposed to why, why do they blow it that way? Like, people are kind of concerned about how you're winning games. That's a much better thing than concerned about why you lost them. So that's the biggest surprise for me. And also look around the country. Yep. Oh, yeah. Teams are losing all Georgia the time. almost lost to Missouri. Right. Notre Dame and Oklahoma have two losses. How how often would you have thought Oklahoma that was going to happen? Oklahoma got curb stomped by TCU. Sure, was, those are tougher conferences and such, but still, college football losses, crazy losses. TCU has a brand new time. coach, right? Didn't they fire like they're like <laughs> yes, they go uh, in there and just know they retired, right? And Sunny, they, they, Sunny give up, they give up 52 points. Like Brett Venables is a defensive coach. Like I think it was fifty-five, and the last time a Brett Venables defense gave up fifty-five points was the USC Oklahoma national title game. Dang. So I mean, there's just you know weird stuff happens. Weird stuff's happening to this USC team, and you keep winning. So people are like, "Oh, Caleb Williams out of the Heisman." Well, then he has three hundred forty-eight yards and rushes for forty-four more and four more touchdowns. Like, nope, he's in it. Like you're going to have little clunkers along the way, but you got to win them, and uh, USC's been doing that. So. I'm going to go with the fact that they didn't turn the ball over until the fifth game and had the most turnovers on defense. I mean, I feel like the last couple of years watching USC football, they didn't have many turnovers, and they turned the ball over a lot, and it's been the complete opposite so far. Yep. You guys kind of took big picture things. I'll go maybe a little bit smaller, and I think that's just the the ascension, not the ascension, but the the play of Eric Gentry, just a unicorn in the like that, that. De defense, just a guy who – is catching a lot of attention, not just because he's six foot six, but a lot of it is because he's six foot six. <laughs> but just this guy playing Mike linebacker at that size and with that sort of uh, fiery mentality, uh, underrated guy. You know, not not a lot of people knew about him out of high school, freshman All American. It's on a path to some pretty cool things. So I think just that that leadership that he's that he's displaying in the middle of that defense. When we were all talking about Shane Lee, but here it is, Eric Gentry, kind of coming out of nowhere, not nowhere, but just being that guy in the middle of the defense. Yeah, I talked to uh, Eric uh, Eric Cartman, Chris Cartman, Eric different Cartman. different show. Uh, that's South Park. Yeah, uh, who does a great job covering Arizona State Sun Devils um, for Sun Devil Source, part of Twenty Four Seven Sports Network. And I think he was talking to Brian Doan back in the day about his recruitment. They like, hey man, you guys need to rank this guy. I'm talking about Eric Gentry hires. Like, I watched the film, and he just stands out, you know. And uh, so. Props to uh, Chris. I thought you know he was on it when he when he was transferring. He called me. It was like, dude, he's going to be really good. And I think a lot of us just thought like, oh, he's six six. He's two hundred pounds. He'll be good next year or something. And nope, he's good now. <laughs> he's ready to play now. So that's a good one. It's a big surprise. And he's. I mean, we just were in the press conference last night where Shane Lee got all the press and he was made available to the media preseason. Eric Gentry, I think, has taken over as the the leader, like vocal leader on the defense, which I think that's even more surprising than his play so far. Uh, we've got another interesting one from Oscar. He says, "What is was was the USC performance against ASU a good or bad look for the recruits that were at the game? I'll say, listen to Chris's recruiting podcast. I'm sure they're going to talk about that. Yeah. Yes. Composite two-star recruits. Plug it. Right. 
Any win is a good win in front of recruits. Recruits aren't going like, well, I thought that they should have. Like, they're not doing that. Yeah, recruits like, aren't calling us in right now and be like, hey. They'll know if they won or lost. Like, it's like, oh, it's, for, like, it's more like that. We say this a zillion times. Recruits do not look at the game like you as a critical fan do. No. They just don't look at the same way. So don't don't put your mindset on a recruit. They're not like, oh, I can't believe that it run, they should have run the ball more. Like, you know, there's nothing like that. So no. just, yeah, listen to our podcast, Composite Star Recruits, me and Gerard. Gerard has mentioned this many times that, you know, as Ryan just said, recruits do not look at a game like fans look at a game. And we will break that down. But early, early reviews, I'm hearing that, yeah. They made an impression for a lot of guys and big group, big group. I put a really big list in my game day ghost notes that you can check out if yeah. you're a member of the pair stuff. And if you're not, you can do in there. You can 30% off your annual membership. If you want to do that, you can get the whole year locked in or a dollar for your first month to try it out. Chris's ghost notes are awesome. Definitely worth I mean, the war rooms are amazing on Fridays. You got to check those out. But Chris's ghost notes, he's really good at putting out the observations in there and stuff that you would never, if you were sitting right next to him, you wouldn't have noticed these things too, so check it out. Didn't notice you. No. I know that's true. You, didn't <laughs> you put were me a real ghost. ghost. You didn't put me in the ghost notes. Uh, we've got another question from Neil on YouTube. He says, "Top five transfers with the biggest impact so far." I, I've seen this question before, so I was able to think about it, and I can give my answer to give you guys wow, some time wow, to think wow, about wow, it. Wow. I'm gonna go Caleb Williams one. I think Travis Dye two, Jordan Addison three, Eric Gentry four, Makai Blackman five. Williams. Addison, Gentry. You are snubbing I, Travis Dye right now. Yeah, Dye's got to be up there. Dye. You put Dye five. five? I think they had good running backs. Uh, and he's been by far the best. I like Jack's list better than yours. But, I mean, all That's of them. Like, we mentioned a whole bunch of guys. Like, these dudes are important. Um, but all five of those guys are, are key doesn't mean you get to avoid making your five if you get no, i'll just say i'll say yours but like i will say about those five like if you took one of them away any one of them usc's not five and oh do you agree with that any one of them if you remove them from the equation yes 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 makai blackman's an interesting one i mean probably Who I makes that pick? Like, yeah that's true yeah, that pick well, that was pick, big. that pick hurt usc it was cool, but it hurt USC. <laughs> I, I think because they haven't faced a, a world-beater wide receiver yet, which I think he will fare well against when they eventually do, maybe they're 5-0 and without Makai Blackman, but, I mean, you're, I think you're right with everyone else. Yeah, you needed those guys. Uh, we've got another question from uh, Ron Burgundy on YouTube. Do you think these late starts might have an effect on the team as opposed to playing earlier in the day, basically asking, does a late kickoff equal a slow start for the team? I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it, this is the I real have an Ron effect Burgundy. on me for sure. Yes, I don't like it. No, and I, I've heard a lot of grumblings. Um, even you know, Lincoln Riley made a, a comment about it. I think it might have been last week's presser or something like that. So, yeah, they don't prefer that. So, I think it's going to be better. It'll be four thirty. You might see a little bit more energy from the crowd too. Like, you know, do you want to show up and? You're, you're get home after midnight or whatever. Like, no, that's not that's not always fun. I was speaking with Damani Jackson in class the other day and asked him, "Do you like the late starts? Like, are, do you like the seven thirty or do you want them to be early in the day so you have to wait?" He he was completely on board that they don't want to have to wait until seven thirty. At least he doesn't. And I asked him, "Okay, but is it cool to have the lights out entrance?" He says, "Yeah, that that's that's really cool." But I think like everyone has the same opinion that 
waiting till 7.30 at night to play is kind of a drag because for the rest of the day, like, what are you supposed to do knowing you have a game later that day? You can't really do anything in the morning, and the game's already so late. So I'm not, I don't think they've really had a slow start for either of the two games that they have played at home, which I think the, the lights, uh, lights Out intro helps. I think the Coliseum being pretty packed helps, but maybe on the road if they had a late start, you could guess that maybe there's a slow start there, but I don't know. Yeah. Another question um, from David Gold. I guess we've already mentioned this. What did you guys think about that PI call that led to the last scoring drive for ASU? Both of them were a little ticky-tack. I think we would all agree. Yeah, both were bad. I think so. And the one that was USC got benefit of one, two going the other way. I think it was the third down conversion or something, and uh, that looked ticky-tack too. So just Pac-12 refs, Pac-12 refing. Not not uh, nothing intentional, just incompetence. Yeah. Uh, Marksman on YouTube asked, question, did they announce the attendance at the game? I'm going to take a little victory lap because on the Thursday show, we were asked to predict the attendance, and I said somewhere maybe 62,000. It was 62,133. So I was kind of surprised that I was right on the money, but it was still it was a pretty nice crowd. Um, definitely cheering a lot for USC. There were some boos for Arizona State. wasn't quite as rowdy as Fresno State. You definitely felt that there were 6,000 less people there, but I thought it was still a pretty good turnout. Yeah, not bad. I mean, another late game. But yeah, I don't remember them announcing it in the press box because maybe Cause I wasn't, wasn't there. there. You weren't there. Who asked that question in the press conference? If anyone saw else? Ryan at the press conference or in general, I'm like on the video, like asking not. the question. Someone in the someone in the comments said that they saw you taking pictures with two women after the game, so <laughs> they know oh, you were there. That was my mom and sister. I went. There. <laughs> yeah, we went. They were in section like 112, and uh, so like. Next, like near the tunnel. So I walked over there on my way down. And Who did made like that coffee? I don't know. It was it says not Ryan. Hold on, yeah. not Ryan Bot. Not Ryan Bot. Hold on, I'll, I'll pull it up. I'm not gonna believe any photo you saw. All right, as you're pulling that up, I'll run through some of the other uh, questions that we've got here. Uh, Bobby asked, "Does anyone know if Corey Foreman is injured?" Wouldn't be able to tell you if we did. He's not. Injured. He's not injured though. We saw him play, which it's Photoshop. Photoshop. Okay, me, my mom, my sister what's at your, the Coliseum. What's your twin's name? My twin? Uh, yeah. I know. we got Everyone says we look alike, yeah. My sister's Rex, two years younger. Ryan and Rex. My, oh, my twin. The, 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 yeah, the that's, not, Rex, yeah. that's Rex, not you, obviously. Rex right. Yes. Um, there's some other questions. Obviously, people asking why there's no special teams coach. Does one good game by the defense really prove anything? I think they've had multiple good games. They've had one perfect game, it seems like, but they've had a lot of good games. Uh, good halves. You good know. halves, yeah. They've had a lot of good performances that sometimes take a little bit to get going. And the final question that I wanted to end on is something that I didn't think we could get out of the show without talking about. It's Travis Dye's comments after the game. This comes from Cigar Patel on YouTube. Uh, Travis Dye shared some wise words after the game last night. Do you feel that his statement on teammates taking winning for granted can negatively impact team chemistry? Maybe we can just talk about what he said as a whole and then get to this question with Cigar just kind of asking, do you think this might hurt some locker room chemistry? I don't know. I'm not concerned about locker room chemistry, just seeing what these guys have done. Um, I think if a guy like Travis Dye or uh, Shane Lee or an Eric Gentry or a Caleb Williams says something, it's like, this is old. This is probably before Jack's time, probably before your time. Like when EF Hutton, you know, the old commercial, like when EF Hutton talks, people Ooh. listen. Yeah. It was like yeah. some financial thing from back in the day, but it's like when EF Hutton talks, if Travis Dye is going to say something, I think the people on the team are going to listen. So I don't, I'm not concerned about that being a chemistry, he's not saying I need to get the ball more and the ball, you know, it's more about like, here's what we need to do as a team to win. And I think that gets people's attention. The guys that are left, 
they've bought into, you know, like, oh, Lincoln Riley, you've gone to playoffs and won Heismans and all this kind of stuff, won conference championships, and this is how you do things? All right, we'll do it that way. And I think you, you, some of the veteran leaders on the team, if they're going to say something that they, they want to see more of, I think it's not going to cause any kind of riff in the locker room. Also, a lot of the guys still on this team lost a lot last year. <laughs> so I think I think I think there is some appreciation for some of the wins that they're having. Yeah. Success that they're They've having. They've already won after, more than after, they did last year. After last season's uh debacle, dumpster fire, nightmare, whatever you want to call it. And I don't think it's exactly that he said they take winning for granted. He, what he was kind of saying is that after a big emotional win against Oregon State, one that USC probably wouldn't have had in previous years, that some players or some players on the team kind of were acting like they made it or at least thought like, this is, this is, this is great. This is, we really got to celebrate this. Whereas Travis Dye is like, that win doesn't mean anything. That's only our fifth game of the season. You can't stop until or think we've made it at all until the season is over. Yeah. So, which I think that's just like fifth year Travis Dye knows more than some of these younger players. And eventually, players in college are going to get told by a fifth year Travis Dye like being that you don't make it until the end of the season. And this is something that some players have to learn. But I thought it was, uh, I mean, Travis really thought about it before laying out that answer. But I think it's good that he did, and I'm sure that he's going to be in the locker room and he's going to be at practice, him and some of the other leaders, making sure that there's no complacency uh, in this squad just because they're 5-0. and yep. Malcolm Epps said something similar when someone was asked like, what it, what it means to them to be 5-0. and He said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, in, in only a way Malcolm Epps can say. Right. He's so funny. You know. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I love when he, when he gets to the touchdown, you're like, oh, that's going to be a fun press conference afterwards. Yeah. Like, that's what, you know. He does something good in the game. You're like, oh, we get to talk to Malcolm Epps. Brandon Rice accused him of stealing that touchdown. So what, I don't know what, if you heard what was the shot. story? So I think if you watch the play, like they're kind of in the same area. Yeah. And Malcolm Epps, you know, obviously got the touchdown, and then Brendan Rice was shouting from the back, <laughs> "You stole my touchdown!" <laughs> and they were just had a little moment. It was, it was nice. Fun. That would have helped your bold predictions. Did you hit any? No. You went oh for again. Oh for fifteen. I don't know. So oh, for your last oh, 15. Oh, no, I'm one for 15. Let's one come for correct. Apologize. Apologize. I had, a, I had a funny, well, I thought it was a funny tweet. I don't know. It was like, they were showing um, Jerry Rice, you know, signing autographs, and I guess he was taking selfies and stuff, and I just tweeted like, oh, they just showed Brendan Rice's dad signing autographs in the, in the cover. <laughs> so I thought that was good. Oh, I was just thinking it would have been funny to tweet out a picture of that and say, like, the transfer portal is really heating up for USC. They bring in <laughs> Jerry Rice now to pair with Jordan Addison. This is the most random question I think I've ever seen on one of these from uh -oh. Steve on YouTube. And I actually have an opinion of this because I've heard this before. How many holes does a straw have? We can end the show with that. How many holes does a straw have? You have a straw right there. Do you want to count them? I, I would say one, right? That I think that so the regular answer people always say like one or two. My unconventional answer is that it has none because I think a hole is something where you like actually it's like it's punctured and there's a hole. There's a gap, obviously, but you make a straw so that it has the two openings. So I don't think that qualifies as a hole. Oh, so maybe it's zero. Oh, whatever, Jack's smoking. I say zero. Yeah, like you could say one long continuous hole. You could say a hole on each end, or there's just no holes at all. I don't know. Because it's not like they make a solid straw and then poke through it. It's not like a donut or something. You no, know? The, like a donut clearly has a hole. Right, but they're straw holes. Like yeah, so okay, so if you have a donut and you make it, you cut a, you cut a hole out of it. You have one donut hole. I'm out. I'm out of this whole conversation. <laughs> it's too late. For, I want. I want to. No it is. It's been. We were like all of us didn't have a lot of sleep because it was a late, late game and. Yeah, 
So is this, it, will, this is coming close to frying my brain circuits. I'm out. All right. Right. I'll say five holes. Let's, anything <laughs> else that you guys want to talk about USC football-wise before we wrap this one up? Uh, should be an interesting week. Get back uh, Washington State game, 4.30 p.m. We'll have a preview show again on Thursday and then uh, a recap next Sunday. Then the big trip to Utah. We just booked a bunch of uh, travel for that. That should be good. I'm booked. I'm booked. Uh, but yes, so good week. Uh, Chris and I will have a podcast on Tuesday. We'll do live on Hello. YouTube. We're doing one. We'll have practice Tuesday morning, practice Wednesday afternoon. Uh, check out the instant analysis from all that stuff. Uh, check out all the ghost notes because they're great. We'll do the live podcast, recruiting podcast coming up. So lots of shows. Um, wherever you're listening or watching this, we appreciate all of you. But uh, stay tuned. Lots of shows. Uh, getting ready for Wazoo this week. Field level highlights are up on YouTube, so you can watch those if you Ooh, nice. wish. Those are always great, too. And make sure you guys are going to the website, uscfootball.com, signing up. The staff wrote a bunch of great articles this week. There'll be a bunch of stuff up on the YouTube channel all week leading up to the Washington State Week. Tunnel Vision will be back on Thursday with myself, Shotgun, and RJ Badia to talk Washington State. But thank you guys for joining us on Sunday night. Get some good sleep. I think I know that we're going to try to after <laughs> last night. Uh, but thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.